Hello and welcome to Finding Truth Matters with Dr Andrew Corbett. We're pleased to have you join us for the program. Have you ever been subjected to dodgy theology? It's the kind of Bible teaching that superficially sounds credible but cannot stand up under intelligent scrutiny. It's not new. In fact, the Apostle Paul in the New Testament dealt with it when he addressed the Church of the Colossians. If you'd like to be alert to what dodgy theology looks like, stay tuned as tonight Dr Corbett explores the errant teachings that had crept into the Colossian Church. Holy Spirit, Open our hearts and eyes to hear what you want to say to us, but more importantly, to see what you want to say to us. May our hearts not be resistant to your word, but Father, as I was considering this, and Lord, as I prayed even for myself, God, do something in me. Lord, I felt that's an inadequate prayer, so I pray a better prayer. Do something in us as a result of what we see in your word here today. In Jesus' name, amen. So Colossians chapter 1, and you remember we've looked at the first eight verses already, and we've seen that the pastor of the church at Colossae, which is a church that Paul the Apostle had never been to, um, his name was Epaphras, and Epaphras was uh, perhaps a young Christian himself, he had gone um, probably from hearing Paul in Ephesus and had gone to Colossae uh, near another place that you may have heard of, Laodicea. And he had preached there. People had been converted. A church had been established. But before too long, there were problems in the church. And the problems in the church were caused by two major groups. These two groups were promoting... On the one hand, we have what's called Judaizers. These are people that say to be a Christian, you need the law of Moses and faith in Jesus. So they still say you've got to keep the Sabbaths, you've got to keep the festivals, you've got to get circumcised and you have to um, do all the things that Jews are supposed to do. So, it's, so, it's being, so to become a Christian, you have to become a Jew first and then add faith to Christ. And Epaphras, just the, the, these guys were overwhelming in their logic of, of how this sounded biblical. And, and Epaphras just didn't know how to respond. And, and then while he's trying to figure out how do I respond to this, there was another group of guys called the Gnostics. It's a silent G at the start of that. It's, uh, that word gnosis is uh, the word knowledge in Greek. And these guys said you need a special knowledge to be made right with God. And a part of that special knowledge is understanding that the material world is fundamentally evil. That is, your, the, the, the appetites, the desires that you have for your body are corrupt. They are evil. They are wicked. And as such, we should punish our bodies through extended periods of fasting and uh, we should... Um, uh, uh, not give in to the cravings and desires of our flesh in an extreme way. And we should, we should have a whole set of rules like don't touch this because you know, there are some people that if you touch them, it will corrupt your soul. And so Epaphras again was confronted with this. this and he, 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 to quote the castle, he, he couldn't quite perhaps pinpoint what was wrong, but he knew the vibe of it wasn't right. <laughs> And so, so he went to Paul the Apostle who was in um, Caesarea in prison there and, and it appears that in order to get the, 
the, the meeting with Paul that he wanted, he himself had to voluntarily become a prisoner. And so he became a prisoner with the Apostle Paul. And so as he puts these questions to Paul, I don't know how to do this. Paul, I didn't want to be a pastor anyway, and I've got all these problems in the church, and how do I deal with it? Paul says, it's okay, Paphras. Both of these people suffer from the same error. And that is this, they don't know who Jesus is. And so Paul, who's obviously just written to the Ephesians, so with all the stuff, in fact, if you, if you map out Colossians and map out Ephesians, you'll see that they follow the same outline. In fact, there's, there's many things repeated in Colossians that were already stated in Ephesians. So Paul, fresh with everything he wrote to the Ephesians, he says, he says much of that, but Ephesians is about emphasising the body of Christ. We read a passage there this morning, which emphasises this aspect of being together as the body. And so in Colossians, it's not emphasising the body of Christ, it's emphasising the head of the body. It's emphasising Christ as head. Now that word head, that means authority. It means the one who has the right to tell those under his authority, what to do. It means that all those under his authority must defer, submit to his authority. And Paul in Colossians says, but let me tell you why Christ is the head. And we're going to see some of the argument that Paul has and he's going to introduce one of them. But in these early verses, I want us to walk slowly through this garden. I want us... Not to just walk past the fragrances that we're going to smell as we walk this path through this garden called Colossians. So we're reading from verse 9. And if it sounds like we're going to really ponder and examine each of the flowers with their unique fragrance, we are. We are going to do it very deliberately. And, and, and I want you to see... That in this epistle to the Colossians, we're going to see Paul praise 10 things for the Colossian church. It's quite remarkable. He'd never seen them. He'd never been there. He refers later in the epistle that they'd never seen his face. So they weren't familiar with him. So here Paul has a 10-point prayer for the Colossians. We're going to have a look at that, but let's read verse 9 together. And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking... Well, we'll have a look at what he asks in a moment. So let's ponder what we've just read in verse 9. From the day we heard... From the day we heard... That tells me that somebody's reported to Paul what's going on. It's very interesting how Paul treats a report about a church. It drives him to prayer. From the day we heard, from the day we heard of your faith in Christ, we heard about it. What was he told? Whatever he was told, it provoked him to thank God. 
And it provoked him to pray. There are some people that say you should never tell people what's, what's going on. Just keep it to yourself. It's just between you and God. It's just a secret thing. Well, if, that's, if that was true, and if that's what the early church practiced, Paul would have never heard what was happening in Colossians. Sometimes it's very hard when I talk with missionaries and they say one of the hardest things about being a missionary is writing the newsletter, letting people know what's going on. I've shared with you some, some of the stories that Wes Stafford, who was growing up as the son of a missionary, had with his own dad, who was a missionary. And he said his dad was lousy at newsletters, just lousy. You know, they'd go out, they'd, they'd, they'd see an entire village turn to Christ and his dad had come home and said, I better put something in the newsletter. And, and he wouldn't even mention that the village turned to Christ. He would just make some reference to, we dropped into this village. And, and young Wes said, no, dad, tell him. And I actually reckon young Wes was right. Tell him, dad, tell him. But there's a mentality that, no, I can't tell them because it will sound like bragging. But Epaphras must have told Paul, warts and all, what was going on. It wasn't just the bad bits, otherwise Paul wouldn't have thanked God. He told them, he gave a report. One of the hardest questions I'm asked as a pastor, especially at these conferences, well, I wasn't asked it that much at this conference because it wasn't that type of conference, but... I'm asked questions like this, so how's your church going? How do you answer that question? Well, you know, I've got one particular person in my church who's been a real pain to me. (laughs) How do you answer that question? Somehow Epaphras figured it out. He figured out, well, I'm just going to tell you like it is. I preached and people got saved. Is that bragging? It depends, doesn't it? It depends why you're saying it. It sounds sounds to me like there's nothing, no hint of rebuke to Epaphras. Oh, Epaphras, you just think you're the hottest preacher. None of that. None of that at all. In fact, Paul gets the impression that Epaphras really loved these people that he really cared for these people. He really laid down his life for these people. So there's not a sense of pride in this. There's a sense of just giving the facts and reporting. And so when someone asks you, how are you going? What do you report? Are you like most Christians and lie? Good, thanks. All rejoicing. Praising the Lord. Or do you just, can you be honest? Actually, I'm having a really good time at the moment. I'm, I'm finding somehow that, you know, I'm coming into a season of my life where Christ means more to me now than ever before. Is that bragging? Well, I'm, I'm, I find that in the season I'm in right now with so many demands from young children and a husband who's just, a, not, I'm, to, I'm not talking about myself here, you understand. Imagine I'm, Referring to anyway, no, okay. but but I can imagine someone saying a young woman, a young mum being uh, you know asked this: How are you going with your walk with Christ? Well, it's it's quite frankly very hard right now. And what do we do with that? Do we condemn that woman? We I don't think we should. See, I think we can be honest in our reporting of how we're going. In fact, I actually think the church 
should be the place where we're safe to do that. Because we all recognise that we're in this together and according to Romans 12, we should rejoice with those who rejoice and we should also what? Weep with those who weep. We should be able to do that. And quite frankly, in our church, we don't rejoice anywhere near well enough. And we probably don't weep anywhere near enough as well. So there's something there to ponder. Notice this, Paul says that we haven't ceased to pray for you. We haven't ceased to pray for you. Anyone here pray unceasingly? Good night. Don't pray. We haven't ceased to pray for you. I know the Bible says to pray without ceasing. In fact, it was Paul who goes on and he tells, I think it's the Thessalonians, pray without ceasing. First Thessalonians 5, I think it is. Boy, how do you do that? <laughs> Paul obviously didn't have a phone to answer. He obviously didn't have, you know, <laughs> there, are some, there are some days when I, when I think I am just so flogged, I am just going to sleep in and next thing the kid's bouncing on the bed. And that's out the window. Or if they're not bouncing on the bed, the noise waves are. How do you pray unceasing? You know, as I ponder some of these things and as we look at exactly what it was that Paul prayed for, I, I, I have to think, God, I don't measure up to this. I don't, not only do I not measure up to this, I've got to really search my heart and think, do I want to? And I think that's the first question we together as a church have got to ask. We'd be hypocrites if we said, yeah, we're doing really good and everything's fine and we're cruising with God and what, it's great. Yeah, some, yeah okay. Paul says he, he hadn't ceased to pray for them. I'm not there. I want to be there. How do we get there? I think it begins by saying, God, I want to be there. I want to be there. And this is going to be something I'm going to challenge us to do as we look at the points that Paul actually prays for these Colossians. He prays these things, and I think it's really important that we look at it. So let's, let's have a look at the first thing that Paul prayed for these Colossians. And as I pondered these particularly 10 things, maybe 11 things that Paul prayed for the Colossians, these are really well thought out. Paul had given this a lot of thought. Yeah, I want you to understand, that, as I said to you, the two errors that were confronting the church here at Colossae, there was the error of the Gnostics, the know-it-alls. You need this special knowledge. Well, you won't find this knowledge in the Bible because it's special knowledge. You get it direct from God. And even today we hear stuff like that. You know, God has told me. I know the Bible says this, but God has shown me this. Well, that person, that person doesn't deserve the time of day. And I know that there are people that even prophesy, you know, thus says the Lord, prepare for whatever. Well, unless scripture says that, we can dispense with any comment like that. Am I saying that we don't believe in prophecy for today? No, not at all. But I think we need to be very, very careful about those that claim they've heard from God when it contradicts the word of God. Very, very careful. So here's the first thing Paul prayed knowing I've shared with you the errors that confronting the church, that you may be filled with the knowledge. Well, hang on, Paul, I thought we were trying to counter that. Yeah, but it hasn't finished. Filled with the knowledge of what? 
Have we got his will? Can you see that? Filled with the knowledge of his will. Who thoroughly knows the will of God for their life? Wouldn't it be great if we just knew what colour top to put on in the morning? I did hear a joke at this conference. Did you want to hear it? The, guy, the speaker from America, he, he, he was from Tennessee, and he said, you know, when I die, I want to die just like my grandfather. Just, just, just calmly fall asleep and die. Not like the other passengers in his car who were screaming. <laughs> I'm just reporting the jokes. I don't endorse them. Just... To be filled with the knowledge of the will of God. You know, the fact that Paul says you need to pray for this tells me something. The fact that Paul had to pray this for the Colossians meant they didn't have it. The fact that it's in Scripture, we know that we're reading someone else's mail here. But we're reading someone else's mail because the Holy Spirit has put this in what's called the canon of Scripture so that we can benefit it means that there is some application in this for us. In other words, it's a good thing for us to pray that we might know the will of God. The will of God. It's an interesting thing about knowing the will of God. There are some people who talk in this super spiritual nonsense that God told them to, told them to do and told them to, and told them to do this. Like, yeah, okay. I recently heard one guy who had been telling the world on, on television that God had told him this and told him this and told him this and over the period of time that it had all gone exactly the other way. And he was interviewed about how he could get it so wrong and he said, well, I just declare the intended will of God. It's not necessarily what God is going to do, it's what God intends to do. I thought, get out of jail for free, good night. That means you could say anything. Good night, call yourself a prophet. That is unbelievable. That is rubbish. That is rubbish, church. We need to pray, but I want you to see this. Paul's praying not for an individual. Who's he praying for? The church, the whole church. So there's a sense of knowing collectively the will of God. See, one of the things we felt very early on as a church, that we would have a ministry as a church that extended beyond these four walls, that we would inspire people, to be a part of a church that, that became salt and light in the community. That we would be a part of a church that had a ministry that extended, extended beyond these four walls, beyond Sunday, so that we could go into the marketplace, that we could go into the halls of academia, that we could go into the, to the, the, the homes and the neighbourhoods, so that we could go into industry and commerce, and we could go into these places, and we could be represented by you in those places. And very early on, we recognised that this church was to have a ministry beyond these four walls, which meant whatever we say in this church on a Sunday, we should be able to shout from the rooftops. And we don't want to be silly. And I've said it to you before, we do want to be a thinking church, but a caring church as well. Thinking and caring. Considering, pondering, but caring for people. I think that's the will of God for this church. I think we need together to have that collective knowledge of the will of God. 
But also we need to be, when you're praying for your family, when you're praying for your kids, when you're praying for your wife, for your husband, here's the first of the 10-point prayer that Paul had for the Colossians. Praying that they may be filled with the knowledge of God's will. So the next time you feel uncertain, I don't know if God wants me to apply for this job. I don't know if God wants me to do this. I don't know if we should sell our house. I don't know if... Thank God. You know what that means? You're a candidate for this prayer, to be filled with the knowledge of the will of God. See, the Gnostics taught, whoops, the Gnostics taught a wisdom that <clears throat> was a special knowledge, but here the Apostle Paul says, no, there's a knowledge that comes from God. And we need to know that, the will of God. That's point number one. That's the first thing Paul prayed for. Next thing he prayed for, in all spiritual wisdom. In all spiritual wisdom. Who could do with a bit more spiritual wisdom? Well, for, I'll join my hand with the other two people that put their hand up. I think that we could all do with a bit more spiritual wisdom. But you notice it's spiritual wisdom. I was pondering this. Why not just wisdom? Why is it spiritual wisdom? It seems that when confronted with these errors of Judaism and Gnosticism, that there was the need for spiritual wisdom to figure out what really is going to connect us with God? What really is going to benefit us spiritually? Spiritual. I recently heard Richard Dawkins claim that he was spiritual. He's the world's, probably the world's most vocal atheist at the moment, denies there is a God, but he claims he's spiritual. Because to Richard Dawkins, spiritual means just anything that happens on the inside of you that gives you peace in, well, he doesn't believe you've got a soul, but just peace. Is that what spiritual means? It can't, that's not what Paul means. It's not what the New Testament means. To be spiritual is to be in communion, in fellowship with God. That's spiritual. That's real spirituality. It doesn't come from chanting. It doesn't come from doing anything. It comes from being connected with God. Having spiritual wisdom, being able to make decisions because you know God, based on that and grounded in that. I think we could pray this. That's the second point of Paul's 10-point prayer for the Colossians, that they might be filled with spiritual wisdom. The next thing is understanding. You see there the third thing, that they may be filled with understanding. It seems like the will of God requires wisdom to apply it. And it seems that in one sense Paul is saying, that we can be people that know the will of God. We can be people that uh, understand the will of God as well. We might put it this way. Knowledge of the will of God is what to do. Spiritual wisdom is how to do it. And understanding is why we're doing it. be great if you can answer all those questions, but maybe you're not there yet. That's why we need to pray this for each other. Be praying that. So understanding, the third thing. The next thing, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. You notice this isn't a rule. It's not a, a rule like the Gnostics or the Judaizers were bringing. This is a general principle. Walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Are we doing that? We should pray that for each other. Please pray that for me. 
please pray that I'll walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. But please pray for us as a church that we'll walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. I believe that if we do that, if we become people of integrity that walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, people will see that we're not the same. We're different. We don't talk the same. We don't, we don't treat life the same. Walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. I think that's a, a powerful witness to be able to do that. Here's the fifth thing that Paul prayed for the Colossians, that they would be fully pleasing to him. Who's there? Well, the very fact that none of us put our hand up and go, oh, I'm fully pleasing to the Lord. Oh, really? Yeesh. I've just got to stand back because I know there's, biblically there's lightning bolts that normally follow a sentiment like that. We, but you see, this is, isn't this something in our heart? We can, rather than say, uh, are we fully pleasing to the Lord? Here's a heart question. Do you want to be? Do you want to be? Do you want to be fully pleasing to the Lord? You know, as I was pondering this, I thought, God, I don't know if I'm fully pleasing to you. I don't know if I'm fully pleasing to you. And, and, and God... I hope my heart is inclined that way. I hope my heart says, Oh God, I want to be fully pleasing to you. I want my attitude, my thoughts, my actions, my words, my time, my treasure, my talent to be fully pleasing to you. Let's pray that. Let's pray that for each other. Let's pray that for our families and so on as we pastor our wives, husbands, as we pastor our children dads we should be praying this six bearing fruit in every good work bearing fruit in every good work i pray that as a church we will bear fruit in every good work what will that look like i I trust that that will continue to look like people being drawn to christ this church continually being filled with people you know when we started here in 1995 we were meeting in a in a dusty hall just across the highway there with 17 people and the average age was 65. Look at us today. And and I'm not saying that, please, I'm reporting. I'm not trying to boast. I'm just saying God has done something in us. It it hasn't been the glitziest thing. you know. It hasn't been we we were 17 people and in two months we were 3,000 people. No, it's just steady. It's just steady. What are we going to look like in another 15 years? I hope many of us will look like parents of godly kids, grandparents of godly kids. In 15 years, I expect to be multiple grandparentizing. And I hope my, my grandkids will want this, to be fully pleasing to him, to be bearing good fruit. Good fruit. Bearing fruit in every good work. Seventh thing, increasing in the knowledge of God. Increasing in the knowledge of God. We all need to know God more. We need to know his word more. I went to this conference in Canberra. I learnt things. I learnt things. I I talked with people that have read far more than I have, who understand God's word far more than I do. And I come back and I go, God, I need to know more. I need to know more. Not like the Gnostics. But I need to know so I can teach better, so that I can encourage better, so that I can pastor better, so that I can handle the word better, so that, so that I can be the kind of person that Paul is praying for in this passage, filled 
with an increasing knowledge of God. 8, verse 11. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. I was praying that this morning during the worship. I was praying for the worship team. I was, I was thinking, John chapter 4, Jesus was tired. He was thirsty. He, he'd been walking. He walked to Samaria. He was, he was flogged. And he sits at a well there, maybe just to, just to refresh. And then a woman comes along, and it's a ministry opportunity. And you know the story, the woman at the well in Samaria. He ministers to her. Ministry takes work. It's effort. It, 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 in one sense, it's physically draining. But remember when the disciples come to him and they say, well, you missed out on the food. What does Jesus say? My food is to do the will of my Father. My nourishment is to work for my Father. Wow. So I was praying that as these guys were ministering this morning, they'd feel the nourishment of God. Our work as a team is our worship. And our work is so you can worship. That you may be strengthened. I think we could all use that, to be strengthened. We may be physically drained, but we want to be spiritually strengthened. Number nine, for all endurance... You know what all endurance looks like? You keep going. You put one foot in front of the other. You keep going. Even when you want to quit so bad, you keep going. There's a Sunday we just go, look, I just need a break. No, we're praying that you'll endure. We're praying that us as a church will endure. We're praying that when we take a knock, we'll get back up again. We pray that when we want to quit, we'll keep going again with all endurance. This is a good thing for you to pray for me for. I'm going to be praying this for you. The next thing, number 10, Patience with joy. Patience with joy. Put your hand up right now if you're patient. Come on, right now, right now. No, I'm kidding. Patience with joy. Patience with joy. You ever been interrupted on your way to something that you had to get to really quick? Have you felt? Have you seen it as a God interruption? Have you seen it as an opportunity? Oh, Good. Oh, praise God. This is the ideal opportunity I've been praying for to exercise the fruit of patience. Oh, really? Hmm, that's good. That's fine. Not even looking at your watch going, hmm, is this going to take long? Um, so, okay, your husband's left you. You've got cancer. You've run out of money. You're going to die. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, look, I, that's great. Um, I'll be praying for you, um, but I've really got to go. <sighs> Patience with joy. Pray that for each other. Pray that for us as a church that we'll be patient with joy. Verse 12, and really the 11th thing, if you want to look at it this way, that Paul prayed for in his 10-point prayer for the Colossians was this, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. And I guess we could get to the end of this prayer and go, man, I don't measure up to any of that. And what's Paul's consoling thought? You can't. It's God who qualifies you. It's God who makes you right. And then he's going to come out with this absolute clangor in verse 14 that should cause us to go, that's awesome. And I expect to see a little bit of Singaporean response as I utter the words of verse 14. Here we go. We'll start at verse 13. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom 
of his beloved son. Without Christ, we're in what? Darkness. But Christ has brought us into light and it's God who's done it. We read in verse 12, in verse 13, he's brought us into or out of darkness into light. We're now in a kingdom. You know, in a kingdom, I know that there's, you know, King James. And in fact, if you've got the King James, good for you. I recommend the King James Bible to people who are older than 400 years. And anybody who is older than 400 years old, I strongly recommend that you read the King James Bible. And (laughs) I brought you into this world. And look how you repay me. Anyway. The King James says that God has made us kings and priests. That's a really poor translation. Really, really poor. Better translation, he's made us a kingdom of priests. That's a much better translation. It's actually what Exodus 19 verse 6 says. He's made us a kingdom of priests. See, if you're a king, you've got a kingdom. And I I tell you now, the kingdom of God is not about your kingdom. You're not a king in the kingdom of God. You're a part of the royal kingdom. And we're a kingdom of priests. Who's the pastor in this church? We all are. We all pastor. We all shepherd. We all do the work of a pastor. We look out for each other. We care for each other. We're a part of a royal kingdom. A kingdom that sees the world differently than the world does. Here's verse 14. You see, we could go through this list and we could feel like utter failures. And I hope we don't. I hope we can go, I'm not there. I hope we go through that list and go, I need someone to be praying that for me. And I want you to know, I've been praying that for you. And I've been praying for you, Peter Ness, for this, for you. And I've been praying this for you and you and you. And I pray that we as a church will be praying this for each other. And we could get through this list and think, I failed and we missed the point. Because Paul finishes up by saying, it's not anything you've done, it's all that God has done. And if you feel like you failed, know this, verse 14. In whom we have redemption. Oh, what else? The forgiveness of sins. What do you have to do to be forgiven of sin? If you ask that question, it shows you you don't understand. It's not what you have to do, it's what has been done for you that enables you to be redeemed. What does redeemed mean? Redeemed is to solve a problem. Redeemed is to take a mess and make it right. Redeemed is to rescue. Redeemed is something is going horrible and God turns it into something good. We have redemption. Isn't that good? We've been forgiven. Father, help us to be that kind of people that are redeemed, that are forgiven, that are cleansed, that are washed, that are healed, that are set free. Father, these 10 points, these 10 things that Paul prayed for, for this Colossian church, I pray that we will pray these things for us, our own lives and us as a church. I pray, Lord Jesus, that we might know, that we know, that we know we've been redeemed and forgiven. Now, Father, if there be some here right now and they've never been redeemed, they've never accepted the forgiveness of God, perhaps they're listening to me right now by radio, perhaps they're somewhere out in the interweb, wherever they might be, I invite you right now 
receive, accept God's forgiveness. It can be a response that sounds like this kind of prayer. Father, God in heaven, I come to you as someone who has failed and I need your forgiveness. Lord, if you can take my life and redeem it, please, I give it to you. Take my heart, my mind, my soul and let them be yours. Amen. Dodgy theology distorted the thinking of the Colossian church and distracted them from the truth of who Jesus was. A valuable insight and a timely warning for Christians in the church today. Podcasts and Finding Truth Matters resources, including tonight's program, Colossians Part 2, are available from Lagana Media. You can contact us at P.O. Box 1143, Lagana, Tasmania 7277, or via the website findingtruthmatters.org. If you'd like to subscribe to the monthly e-newsletter Perspectives, visit findingtruthmatters.org and click subscribe. Dr Corbett is pastor of Lagana Christian Church and president of ICI Theological College Australia. We look forward to having you join us at the same time next week for another Finding Truth Matters.